0: Hey, today we are going to start a new series, Summer in the Psalms, and this morning we're going to specifically look at Psalm chapter 1, and so let me pray as we begin. And so God, I love you so much, and um, as we look into this passage, your word, um, would you help us bring the complexities of all of human life, um, and uh, would you challenge us towards a greater trust in you? Um, would you help us be honest where we need to be honest as we look at this? And um, maybe walk out of here more like your son Jesus. It's in your pray. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you remember uh, the 2013 film Gravity. Uh, Alfonso Cuarón, uh, George Clooney, and Sandra Bullock uh, play two ast- astronauts that are working together to survive in space after an accident has left them stranded, which happens to be one of my worst nightmares: stranded in space. But there is this powerful moment in the film where Sandra Bullock, um, her character is wrestling with the reality of uh, death in front of her. And she begins to share honestly uh, on the radio, hoping others can hear her. And this is what she says. She says, I know we're all gonna die. Everybody knows that, but I'm going to die today. And of course, she says it with much more emotion than I am. Funny that, to know. But the thing is, is that I'm scared really scared nobody will mourn for me no one will pray for my soul will you mourn for me will you say a prayer for me or is it too late i mean i'd say one for myself but i've never prayed in my life no one ever taught me how nobody ever taught me how and it's this riveting and powerful moment you're just captured by her character but i think it exposes an irony about prayer she says she'd pray but no one ever taught her how, but in so many ways as I hear her words, they're a prayer. It's honest and raw conversation before a God that hears. And as we enter into these uh, Psalms over the coming um, weeks, we find that the Psalter is a school for prayer. 150, uh, a collection of 150 different writings from various authors who are teaching us how to speak and how to be before God. Old Testament uh, scholar Ellen Davis says this, the Psalms are about speaking our mind honestly and fully before God. The Psalms are a kind of first amendment for the faithful. They guarantee us complete freedom of speech before God, and then something no secular constitution would ever do, they give us a detailed model of how to exercise that freedom, even up to its dangerous limits, to the very brink of of rebellion. I love that. The first amendment for the faithful. Freedom of speech before God. And if ever there was a moment where we need this sort of honest and raw conversation before God, I believe that it's now. And what makes the psalms so extraordinary is that they more than any other book in the Bible are designed to uh, awaken and shape our emotions through songs and poetry and sort of draw all of that out because what they do is they themselves Put on full display this range of emotion. We see people joyfully and gladly I- I express joy before God. Uh, I think of Psalm 95, verses 1 through 3. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the Rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is great; is a great God and a great king above all gods and so in the psalms we see uh, these moments of joy and thanksgiving towards god other times you see a uh, lament it could be a communal or personal uh, lament it's pleading with god for remembrance i think of psalm chapter 13 verse 1 how long O lord how long will you forget me forever how long will you hide your face from me And so in the Psalms, we see this sort of depth of emotion, people yelling at God. And then uh, the next chapter is someone declaring their love for God. We see people who are depressed and anxious finding themselves at their absolute wits end. And one of the things that I love about reading the Psalms is when I read them, I find that I'm in good company. They validate our humanity, right? They honor uh, the present uh, emotion that, we're going, that, that we have going on. So they honor that present emotion, but then they invite us to trust in a God that is big enough to handle those emotions, both things simultaneously. And so um, for today, we're going to look at uh, Psalm 1, which serves as a prelude to all of the Psalms, and Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. If you desire happiness, uh, then this is your psalm. And I think that could be true of all of us. Um, We live in a world that's in hot pursuit of happiness. We love to be happy. Aristotle said, Happiness is the meaning and purpose of life, the whole aim and end of our human existence. I was reading a bit this week. uh, Modern science defines happiness as the positive range of emotions that we feel when we are content or full of joy. Uh, For many of us, uh, happiness is 5 p.m. on Friday afternoon. Um, For some of us, happiness is a vacation or a new adventure or an empty inbox or uh, time with friends. Or for some of us, it's time alone. And if most of us are honest, we would probably say that for us, happiness seems elusive. It sort of comes to us in waves or in bursts. And then we live in a culture and in a time in which There are an infinite um, proposed pathways to this said happiness. But what does Psalm 1, or what does the psalmist here have to say about this idea of happiness? And here's how it begins. Psalm 1.1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And so the psalmist comes along here and just drops this bomb. Blessed is the man, right? What is this idea about blessedness? And I want to pause here because I think it's really important to to grasp and identify what this word blessed means. The, The word blessed here in the Hebrew is ashrei, and it really means happy. All right, happy, when we use this word happy, um, most of the time what you and I are thinking about is we're thinking about emotion, right? Something that sort of comes and goes throughout the day or like I said, it comes sort of in bursts. But happiness here is not a matter of uh, emotions or sort of the external circumstances that are happening. It's about finding joy along the way, finding joy in, and we'll get to this, in the rootedness that we can have, not in a destination, but in the journey. And what the psalmist is doing is, is the psalmist is actually saying that blessedness or happiness, uh, this is a person that is happy, that's complete, that's flourishing, that's thriving. And then they're beginning to describe how it is or what was the pathway to said happiness. The, the psalmist is giving us a pathway to this happiness. And I wanna show you how much profound wisdom um, there is here. And we'll start in verse one with this simple phrase, Blessed or happy is the man. And I want to first acknowledge here that there is an assumption that is underlying in this phrase. And it's simply this. Happiness is possible. I said before that happiness sort of feels elusive to us. But the biblical assumption with the idea of happiness is that it is possible. Now I want to pause because. I was thinking this week about how we begin our lives as children, how we think that we'll grow up and we'll find happiness, we'll keep it. Um, And for most of us when we're young, you know, we look at, at older people and you think, how are you not happy? Like, what did you do along the way to screw this up? why why do you think that way because when you're a kid you think happiness is is totally natural and is going to come to you as you grow up that's why when you ask a kid uh, what they're going to be when they grow up they have these big audacious ideas right they tell you they want to be a basketball player or they want to go to space and you look back at them and you say did you watch gravity though you don't want to go to space um when, when we're children we think that happiness is bound to happen to us as we Um, get older, right? I'm definitely going to find that special someone and they're going to make me so happy and we're never going to have any problems, right? I'm going to get the job and I'm going to love everything about it. It's going to give me meaning and purpose and lots of money, right? Right. I I think that the thinking goes along, uh, obviously we don't say this as children, but we think if I'm diligent and purposeful, then happiness is coming to me and my life is going to be good. But then we grow up right we grow up in, in and we see more of the world we become uh, cynical and, and jaded and it's almost for us now as if we have moments of happiness um, but then it seems to elude us and then we begin to think maybe happiness is unachievable or unrealistic and the psalmist actually comes along and says something subversive to both of those ideas and to the child the psalmist comes along and says this isn't blind optimism, where you think, well, happiness is just bound to happen to me, just pie in the sky sort of ideas. And to us jaded adults, the psalmist comes along and says, don't be a pessimist. Rather, the psalmist is a realist that comes along and says, happiness is possible. So naturally then, the question becomes, how do I get it? How do I get this happiness? And here's where this visual in verse three is so helpful. Here's what it says. He, this happy person, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And so we're getting a metaphor, right? This happy person is like a tree that's planted along a stream, and in in, in its right season, it's yielding fruit. And so I want to talk about this tree and I want to talk about it in two different ways. The, the idea of rootedness, and then I'll quickly talk about this idea of fruit, but the passage is describing a tree that's firmly rooted. And what is the purpose or what do roots do when when a tree is planted, roots go down into the ground in search of something that can bring life to the core of the tree, something that can give sustenance and, and food and nourishment for the long haul. And so there's actually a difference between what's happening below the ground and above the ground. Above the ground is different. And so what the, the, the psalmist is actually doing here is he's deducing that life is like this tree. And trees externally are subject to seasons. Winter comes. Very dry summer comes. And the tree feels the seasons, the externals of it, right? The wind, the storms that come along. It's not always bearing fruit or being productive. It's not always uh, happy. Life comes at us externally and hits us. And I think the major mistake that we make in life is we attempt to find happiness in our circumstances, in the external things. But see, if the life of the tree is dependent on it, uh, sort of eternally being spring, then what's going to happen? The tree is going to die, right? Because uh, it, will, it will get to be winter. It will be summer. And what does this mean? Here's what I think it means. You and I won't be happy when our happiness is based on circumstances. The life of the tree is not dependent on, on the externals, but the life of the tree is actually about its roots. See, our happiness, if, it, if it's dependent on circumstances, then, then our happiness is going to be extremely difficult um, to find. And so in some ways, w- what we actually have to do here is, is do some, some internal work, some deep internal work from a personal standpoint. Because we largely uh, think, we probably don't say it out loud, but we're probably thinking even in this season, I'll be happy when the pandemic is over. I'll be happy when I can buy a house or an apartment and feel that sense of stability. I'll be happy when the right person comes into my life. And so the question actually becomes is, is your happiness dependent on your circumstances? And if it is, then possibly is that why you're not happy or is that why your happiness seems to elude you constantly? And so that's one reason. There's another reason though I think that we're not happy and it's this, You won't be happy when you have no anchor point outside of yourself, right? So we're we're still thinking about this idea of the tree being rooted, right? This this tree is different, right? It's been planted along the riverbanks. Its roots have access to this constant stream of water. And so the tree is okay when the heat comes. The tree is okay in the winter. The tree is okay when the drought comes. Why? Because it's deeply rooted. But what is this tree rooted in? And this is where verse two becomes really important. This happy person doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but rather, verse two, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And I know what some of you are already thinking, you're thinking, oh, Russell's just gonna tell me to read my Bible and pray, and I'm gonna be happy. Or or, or you you might be thinking, well, you just want me to delight in like the part of the Bible where uh, the rules are and then everything is going to be okay with me. This like this delighting in the law of the Lord. And I think this this um, phrase after doing some studying can can actually definitely carry this uh, negative uh, stigma. In fact, uh, for some of you listening, this is you would say this is deeply personal to me. Like I, I, I went to a church. I went to a spiritual community where I needed care where I needed love, where I needed counseling, and what I got in return um, was rules and policies. And if that happened to you, I, I'm sorry. And that's that's the way that a lot of people view Christianity, but there is actually um, a, a, cl- a clarification about what this uh, idea means here. When we think of this word law, it's probably different than what you might be thinking. The word here in the Hebrew is actually Torah, the, the law. And the most basic meaning of the word Torah is Instruction, Not just like legal rules and stipulations, but actually these commandments and these ordinances are called Torah because they instruct us. They tell us what God is like, what he expects of us as people. And the, this, these laws or these regu- regulations were actually the medium that God uh, chose to use to, to shape us. And, and here's why that um, should be or can be a cause for um, delight. Not, not to lead us to, to some sort of, sort of a self-righteousness or self-justification, but God actually reaches, touches, and shapes our souls through these laws. And because of this, the, the Torah, this idea is actually a means of, of grace. It's it, the, the law of the Lord is not the part of the Bible where you find just like the rules. He's talking about the whole overarching message of the Bible. He's talking about... The grace of God being extended to you. That there's a parameters that God wants us uh, to live within, live within, because He loves us. There's a there's a vow, a mutual vow being uh, made. I was thinking uh, in, in this way about um, my, my wife and I. We, we stood in front of each other and, and did law in front, in front of each other, right? These vows or these um, parameters, these commitments. I'm going to be committed to you. I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be gracious to you. I'm going to learn. I'm going to forgive all of these things we said. And I, I hope people wouldn't you know, look at that and say, Oh, that's so dumb that you would, you would commit yourself. Uh, to another person in that way. No, we we presented a law to one another because we love each other. It's relational in nature. And that's what's actually taking place uh, here is that this person that's happy is actually deeply rooted and delighting in the relational covenant and the relational bonds that God makes with his people. And and, and it's like, um, I, I want to delight in that that's something that actually does bring me a natural joy not not something that like strikes me down suppresses me and uh, gives me no freedoms but actually um boundaries within I can I can say this is um that God is in, inviting me into relational bonds with him but see this actually goes against what our culture believes about happiness we think that we'll find happiness when we find complete freedom this is like naturally what, what, what's been shaped into us as a people. We will be happy when we answer to no one. We will be happy when we're free to make all of our own rules to define our own meanings, right? To, to put all of that off. I've been reading a book called Strange Rights by uh, Tara Isabel Burton. And in, inside of it, she talks about the, the new religions of our world. And she talks about these, uh, this type of religion, the, the remixed and a lot of us probably fall into this category and so read this and just see if you begin to see yourself um, here. She says today's remixed reject authority, institution, creed, and moral universalism. They value intuition, personal feeling, and experiences. They demand to rewrite their own scripts about how the universe and human beings operate shaped by the twin forces of a creative communicative internet and consumer capitalism, today's remixed don't want to receive doctrine to assent automatically to a creed. They want to choose and more often than not purchase the spiritual path that feels more authentic and more meaningful to them. And so we live in a culture that's sort of ingrained in this idea, if I can detach myself from responsibilities, I'll have freedom and then I will have happiness. But that is not what Psalm 1 is saying. Psalm 1 is actually saying that that would be like verse 4. That would be like chaff blowing in the wind. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. There's no roots. There's nothing outside of them bringing them fulfillment and um, nourishment and something to sustain them. Actually, we need to be rooted in something outside of ourselves. And that, that's actually, in, in a lot of ways, what a follower of Jesus is. It's someone who's planted in something um, or finding its, uh, our ultimate meaning and purpose outside of ourselves. And so the key to our happiness then is it comes from God. It comes from outside of ourselves and it comes from outside of our circumstances. And so real happiness then is found in what you're rooted in and to be rooted in something outside of ourselves and so this idea of rootedness is here but there's another idea that i want to finish with here and it's that this tree is bearing fruit and here's what it says in verse three he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither now when you read the bible it's really important to uh, understand the cultural context and, and, and what's taking place culturally in that time. But it's also important to understand what's take, uh, taking place geographically with, with where the writers are. And so here's a picture of what you might have thought of uh, this idea of this tree planted by streams of water. And maybe you thought of a big, lush tree on a water bank. Uh, its roots are shared with the, the wet ground and it's just green everywhere. But this is not actually the image uh, that the original uh, readers would have understood this to be. And the, the, the psalmist who wrote this probably wrote it in uh, a semi-arid desert. And so uh, the image would be more like this. It would be a pool of water and it has a tree and uh, you're in a desert. And this small detail matters. In the original time, the, 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 the original reader would imagine this tree as a sign of life in the midst of death, right? The, the, the desert, no water. I, I grew up in Arizona. Like the desert and no water equals death. And, and so this tree that would have been bearing fruit would have represented there's water here. There's life down below in this tree. There's life in this desert. And so the tree actually in in a semi-arid desert would stand out and its branches would wave out on the horizon. It would scream out to others and it would say, there is life here. And so the psalmist is actually giving you a, a picture of your life, right? He's saying, happiness, you are like this tree and as you're happy, you're like these branches that are being spread out and you are a signpost of what it looks like to be happy. This is what it means to be whole. This is what it means to be complete. This is what life is all about. And I hope you're beginning to see where I'm heading. A real life of happiness moves outside of ourselves. It moves past asking, am I as happy as I could be? What makes me happy? How can I be more content? How can I be in a better mood? And, and not to negate what you're experiencing, but it, it brings us outside of ourselves and it helps us begin to ask how can I bring more joy and happiness to the environment around me? How can I be a signpost of this joy and bring life to other people around me so that it might, my, my tree that, that's just blossoming, blossoming up might be a sign of life in the midst of death? So one more image, uh, and then we'll wrap up. This is actually from one of my professors uh, from um, seminary. And I really love this image because um, it it really helps us understand that the psalmist is presenting us two paths and sort of a fork in the road moment on the left you have life blessedness happiness and a, a, a tree that's established and life is flourishing around it and then on the right you have death wickedness chaff war and this is, this is what the psalmist is actually presented. And I, I just want to read uh, our, our, our verses so, so you can just see the dichotomy that's being built here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night, As we wrap up, I I do want to leave you with uh, some questions that you can take with you that you can begin to ask yourself this week. All the questions uh, are written in the the first person. And so we'll just put these up on the screen here. And these three questions. uh, Number one is this. What am I rooted in? What are my current patterns and habits and how are they shaping me? So we're asking about the things that uh, that anchor us. Do I have a source of life outside of myself? Number two. Am I allowing an external circumstance to rob me of joy? Is there something blocking your joy? I know I have moments in life where I, I'm, you know, I'm not conscious of what I'm thinking, and all of a sudden I realize uh, something is bugging me. I'm distracted, and something is taking my happiness away from me. And then, lastly, am I giving away the happiness that I have? I love this image of this this um, tree bearing fruit, giving life um, to other people. I'll leave you with those. Let's pray. And so, Father, thank you for um, this visual today, these sort of paths that are before us that um, we choose to walk. Um, And there's so much grace for us, I know, um, through your Son, when we fall short of these things. But, God, um, would you call us um, to delight in in You, in the grace that You extend to us. Give us a passion um, for reading and understanding Your Word so that, that we may be drawn into deeper and more relationship um, with You. And, and God, may we be those people that stand out um, as people that have hope and happiness and this, this completeness uh, about us. It's in Your name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, thank you so much uh, for being here. I have a couple more things before um, we wrap up. Uh, there are links below for all the information that we uh, spoke through. And I want to do our uh, generosity uh, liturgy. We want to be a, a generous church. And so if you call Reunion Home and you want to give back to what we're doing uh, in the city through our community, you can go to reunionnyc.com backslash give. And this liturgy will come up on the screen here. And this is just a way of orienting um, why we are generous um, people. We don't do this to gain favor from God, but out of an overflow of gratitude. So here's what it says. Father, you are an abundant giver. There is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you. Help me to honor you with my resources. Free me from the deceit of riches. Lead me on the path of generosity. All that I have is yours. All that I have is you. Use our gifts for works of love and mercy, and to the increase of your glory. Amen. And lastly, let me send you with a blessing and, and receive this today. If you're in a place where there's no one around or you might not be weird, maybe just hold, that, hold out your hands so that you might receive this. And so, uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he give you deep awareness of the circumstances in your life that might be robbing you of joy. May the Holy Spirit give us a desire to delight in him, And may you and I be sent out to be signposts of life. Amen.